The series we're in right now is called Home Sweet Home. And so we're in week two, uh, and we're exploring what it takes to create a home that is sweet. That's where we're going, all right? We're trying to find that sweet place, if it were, in our homes. The sad reality, though, and this is the sad reality, and, and the more conversations I have with more people, it's a real reality here as well, is that many of our homes are everything but sweet. And so our homes are full of things like tension. Uh, our homes are full of frustration. Our homes are full of busyness and overwhelmness, if that could be a word. Our homes are full of criticism. They're full of pain. And, and some of our homes are even full of abuse. And that's the reality. The reality is uh, the word that we put with home isn't sweet. It's something else, and it's kind of a bad connotation. And so we're trying to change that. We're trying to figure out how do we get there because God wants us to experience home in a different way. God, God has no intention for your home to be a place of tension or, or criticism or pain or abuse. That's not even remotely the plan of God. If you think, well, this is what God has for him. This is just a lot, my lot in life. That's not God's plan. God, God wants you to experience your home in this way that's a blessing, that's happy, that's peaceful, that's safe, it's secure. It's a place where you can love and be loved. God wants you to experience that. And so right off the bat, I think we need to understand that. But how do we get to there? How do, how do we get, if God wants me to experience in that, and this is where I'm at, how do I transition? How do I get from here to there? How does that happen? And so what we're doing is we're looking at the Beatitudes of Jesus in Matthew 5. We're just going through the Beatitudes of Jesus in Matthew 5. I encourage you to read. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, five, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read it and just let God kind of speak to you about maybe how your fam op, family operates, how your home operates. And so we're taking the Beatitudes and just kind of pulling out those truths, using it as a template or a guide so we can try to figure out how to have a home that's sweet. And so last week, just real quick review. We, uh, we laid the foundation or the groundwork for experiencing a home that was sweet. And it had to do with the attitude of the heart. It had to do with the attitude of the heart. We, we talked about, you know, we highlighted these things that the beginning point wasn't necessarily wisdom or strength, but it was actually weakness. A lot of times we think if we're just really wise and we knew everything, then somehow we would, it would all be better. And, and that's not necessarily true. You can be not very aware of a lot of things and have a home that's very sweet and full of peace and happiness and joy. So it isn't necessarily wisdom. It isn't necessarily strength. It isn't necessarily skill. It's weakness. And so we talked about that in the first few of the Beatitudes, things like the blessed are the poor, meaning I realize I'm undone, that attitude of the heart. I'm realizing I'm not quite there yet. And there, that, was, that was that statement from the heart that really made a difference. Another one was, blessed are those who mourn. And, and that's the one that we say, I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. And so somehow these attitudes of the heart need to become alive in us. That, that I realize I'm not there yet. And, and, and not just like I'm not there yet, get over it. I'm not there yet and God's still working on me. Can you have some patience as we work through this? And then I'm really sorry. And then the third one that we talked about last week is blessed are the humble. And that's that idea, I'm ready to be led. I'm ready to be led. And so the attitudes of the heart that we laid last week are the foundation that hopefully springboard us or, or allow us to step into what we're going to talk about today. And so another one of those. And before I get there, I just want to, uh, last week if you were here, I was really transparent about Jennifer and I. 
in our relationship and, and just trying to be vulnerable, right? We talked about climbing the ladder of humility, and one of those places in the ladder was that we would just get radically honest with those around us about our weaknesses and our failures. How many of you enjoyed that and challenged you? All right, okay. I mean, all week I've been thinking about it personally, you know. And, and so I, I want to start off today just, just letting you know that I'm trying to be as transparent and open and vulnerable as I possibly can during this series. Because I know that's a big part of a home being sweet. Because I think a lot of the pretense, if you will, or a lot of the, the phoniness, or a lot of I got it together, or, or I'm okay, you're okay, when it's really not okay, I, mean, I think that's what gets in the way many times in just finding this home that's sweet before the Lord. And so I'm not standing up here saying I'm some kind of expert. I mean, I'm far from an expert. I, I tell Jay, when Jay first came on staff, and some of you heard me say, I said, if you hang around with me long enough, I will highly disappoint you. At that point, we will find out if we love each other. Right? I mean, so, so I'm not up here saying I'm the expert or I, I've got all this figured out that I know what's going on. I'm just like you. And the only difference is, is I have to get up here and try to explain some of the things I think God is wanting to speak to us as a whole. You know, that's, that's it. I, and the other day I was talking with somebody, and not only that, but when I, when I stand... Oh, sorry. It wasn't me. Ooh. Ooh. Quit doing that. Wow. Oh, man. Anyway, but I forgot what I was going to say. Totally lost my train of thought. Um... But I, I'm just like you. Oh, I said one, the, the only difference is, is when I go to heaven, and I don't like this about being a leader and a pastor of a church, is I'm going to be held more highly responsible than those that aren't. I'm like, that's not fair. I'm just like everybody else. But that's just part of the gig, all right? So, but anyway, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just like you. And, and here's what that means for me is I've learned some things. I've banged my head. I've, I've done some things. I've, I've been a part of stuff. I've, I wish I could go back and do again, but I can't, you know? I'm just like you. I, I, I've, I've done some things. I, I've, I've learned some things, <clears throat> and I have a lot to still learn again. Not again, but forward, going forward. And so here, and here's another thought, just being vulnerable. My home has its moments probably like your home has your moments. You know what I mean? I mean, we have moments. Jennifer is not as always sweet and, and mild and meek as she appears to be, <laughs> right? I mean, we, we have our moments. I mean, we, we have our clashes. We have the times of, boy, we really blew it there, you know. And over the years, we've had our moments. And there were even seasons where we had our moments. And so I'm, I'm not up here trying to say, hey, you get it figured out because I already got it figured out. I'm not doing that at all because I think sometimes we just need to know that sometimes there's a me too thing happening. Hey, we're all in this together. We're all trying to figure out how do we get to a place where our home's sweet. And, and I think we just got to get real about it. We just got to get transparent about it. So here's our key text. This week's beatitude, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus speaking. And he said, blessed... Happy, all right, that word kind of goes with happy or favorable. That's another definition that you could put it. Are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for righteousness, for they will be, and say that last word with me, filled. They will be filled. 
this fullness of life. And so here's a couple of real quick thoughts before we jump into some other ideas along this line. First one is God is the only one who blesses our homes. God is the only one. If, if I can get a hold of some concept today, is this. Is I, if I want my home to be sweet, I need to understand that God has to be in my home. God has to be part of, not part of it, all of what's going on in my home. There has to be this deal because more than anything else, we need him in our homes. And notice the roles that are in this one little verse. The role is this. Our role is that we hunger and thirst. God's role is that he satisfies and fills. See, see, our role is we just go after something. God is the one. And so we desperately, desperately need God to be a part of our homes. Here's the second thought about our text. Is when we hunger and thirst for the wrong things, we end up empty. Empty. I kept praying about that word empty this week because I feel like so many homes are empty and hollow. There's echoes of loneliness in the home. There's echoes of pain in the home, and and it's directly connected to this idea that somehow I was hungering and thirsting after after the wrong things, and it didn't satisfy me, and now here I am in this place where there's emptiness in my home. There's emptiness in my marriage relationship. There's emptiness in my relationship with my kids. There's emptiness. It's void. There's something missing. And, so, and because of that, many times it's because the hunger and the thirst aspect of who we are and what we're to be a part of it is missing. And, and this idea of hunger and thirst is really what determines to a large degree whether or not we're going to experience sweetness and fullness in our homes. What we hunger and thirst for is going to apply itself to whether or not we truly experience that or not and transition out of this emptiness. So here's the thought. We all hunger and thirst I mean, it's all happening right now. How many are hungry right now? You're just hungry. (laughs) Yeah. I had a sip of orange juice, you know, and two cups of coffee. My stomach is his. It's fine. It's fine. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, no. But, I, I mean, I'm hungry, but, I mean, hunger is just part of who we are. That's the point. It's just part of the the makeup of how we're designed, this hunger thing. But the real question is, in your home... What do you hunger and thirst for? In your home, what do you hunger and thirst for? And Jesus is actually using a very common thought and idea here to explain what really brings satisfaction and fulfillment. He's actually talking about the base need of all of humanity, hunger and thirst, to decide or to focus on this idea that there can be satisfaction, but it's in what I hunger and thirst for. And so what do we hunger in our homes for? Do we hunger for righteousness and and God, meaning his will, his his presence, his approval, a relationship with him? Is that what we hunger for? And here's a a good test of what you hunger and thirst for. You can ask yourself, how do I spend my time, my energy, and my money? Just ask yourself, how do I do that? How do I spend my time? How do I spend my energy? How do I spend my money? And that's that's a really good test to, to try to measure what am I hungering and thirsting for? And here, by the way, here's the real test. Ask your kids what they think you hunger and thirst for. What's important to mom and dad? What would they say? Or maybe, maybe ask your friends. Maybe it's not kids. Maybe it's your friends. Ask your friends 
What are you really hungry for? Ask your spouse, your husband, your wife, what are you really hungry for? You know what? If I was to say the one thing that you're hungry for in life, this is what I'd put in that spot. And so what am I hungry for? You know? And, and, and see, many of us, if we're really, really honest, let's just be honest for a second. We would say we're hungry for comfort. I want to be comfortable, right? I mean, that's a big one. I want to be comfortable. I mean, I want to be in a comfortable spot financially. I want to be in a comfortable chair in my living room. I want to be comfortable. You know, that, I mean, that, that might be what we're hungry and thirsty for, just to be comfortable. Or, or maybe you're, you're a little bit more fun-loving. It's fun. Or maybe it's popular, popularity. You know, how many likes or followers you have. You know, your, your Twitter thing is blowing up. And, wow, you know, that's what I'm hungry for. I mean, what, what is it? You know, I mean, or, and here's, I think, the big one. And I'm going to just meddle a little bit. I think we're hungry for personal success. Personal success. Personal success. It's kind of an interesting thought to think about that somehow I would be hungry for something that's just for me. Maybe that's part of the problem, and that's a whole other conversation that we need to maybe have about this whole home sweet home, is that maybe I've made it so personal, I've made it so about me, that really I've lost sight of how I maybe could find home sweet home in my home. Personal success, that to win, you know, to, to bigger and better and best and first. I mean, it's part of our culture. I mean, everything that we do, and as Americans, I think could be summarized in that one phrase, to win, to win, to win. You know, we got to win the game. we got to win this. we got to, and it's just this driving thing, and it's what we hunger and thirst for. But is that it? You know, I mean... Then I took it a whole other thought life. I'm thinking about this. As a culture, we're obsessed with sports. How many would agree with that? We're obsessed with sports. I mean, you know, just all of the different aspects of how we're obsessed with sports. I mean, you know, we just, it's, I mean, you watch the Nebraska game. We're three and six, and there's 90,000 people there still screaming. What's up with that, right? (laughs) Because we're Nebraskans, Right? No, there's, there's just this thing. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that maybe part of that is what we're hungry and thirsting for. And there's, there's just something that needs to be tweaked here, I think. I think there's something that we need to address. And, and so, so it's creating some problems, all right? So here's another question. Why don't more of us hunger and thirst for righteousness? Why don't we? Why don't we just do that? I mean, why, if, if that's true, if Jesus, what he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. If that's true, then why aren't all of us just lining up and that's what we're doing wholeheartedly, just going for it? What's up? What's up with that? And I, I think here's, here's a few things. We're practicing what doesn't work. And so let me give them to you real quick. Here's, here's the first one. We're practicing poor eating habits, spiritually speaking. We're practicing poor eating habits. We love junk food. We just love it. We've created an appetite for junk food in our spiritual life, and that's kind of what we do. You know, we've got, we've got a Twinkie mentality, you know? And so I, recently I realized that I was gaining weight. How many are with me on that one? Not me, you, all right? <laughs> so recently I realized, man, I've, you know, I hadn't been working out, and I one week of, 
few months ago, I was saying, yeah, I haven't worked out for six months and haven't done anything. And, and then I got on the scale and I realized, man, I'm a fat so, you know, I mean, just, just, you know, I was plump, you know, everything was tight. And so I said, I'm going to do something about this. And so I went to Jennifer and I said, hey, let's do something about this together. And so we decided that we were going to start working out. So I've been working out for two months. I don't know if you can tell, but I've been working out for two months. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I'm setting land speed records on the elliptical at the gym. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's like crazy. But, you know, and so, but I knew that I couldn't just work out. I needed to really look at how I'm eating. And I, I realized, man, my eating was bad, man. I was, you know, and Jay, I love you, but you can't bring in Krispy Kreme donuts to the office anymore, man. I was like, he'd bring in a box, and over the course of the day, there was six or nine of them or how many was in there. I'd eat four of them, and I didn't even think about it. It was just, you know, like that. I mean, it's just bad. And, and so then I said, I went to dinner and said, man, i got to break this habit. I mean, I'm, I'm just in like this thing, you know. And so then I, I started drinking. I had been drinking for a while uh, diet pops. And diet sodas, and I realized as we're reading this book that diet soda, the, the the sugar sweetener in there actually is a sugar enhancer, which actually causes you to desire and crave for more sugar rather than actually help you. So I was actually feeding this bad appetite, and I was going, man, I am like, so we cut out sugar, we cut out breads, we cut out, you know, we're like 10, 12 days into this thing. Two days into it, I'm having headaches from not eating sugar. I mean, it was like, what in the world? And all of a sudden, like three days into it, my whole body, I could feel my body going, you know, and if I could interpret that for you, it was, give me sugar. (laughs) You know, it was crazy. But that was part of my problem as I was eating this junk so much, it was creating an appetite in me that I wasn't going anywhere. And so now a week into it, I mean, it's not that big a deal. But anyway, my whole point is, is we got poor eating habits, and when you eat something consistently that is bad, it actually keep, creates even more cravings, more and more of it. You know, I mean, I love French fries, but I haven't eaten French fries forever, but I, I'm not thinking about French fries. I put it in my notes, but it's not on my mind, right? How many of you can eat just one French fry? No, I mean, oh, come on, Charles, I know that's not true, <laughs> Right? So the second one is this. We're practicing. So practicing poor eating habits. The second one is we're practicing legalism. And so when we make our Christianity a list of do's and don'ts, we confuse the rules with the righteousness of God. We practice legalism, and, and we rewrite our key text to say, blessed are those who follow rules. And that's just not true. You know, and, 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 and can I just, you know, you know, here's another way that we say it sometimes is blessed are those who don't drink, smoke, chew, or hang out with girls who do, right? We've heard that. And that's true. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a blessing in that, but it's not, that's not the focus. And if I could be just, again, so transparent, if I could do it all over again, my kids are all grown. You know, my, my youngest is 22 now, you know, um, my oldest is pushing 30, you know, I'm in the grandkid mode, but I'd like to do it again. I'd like to do it again. I'd like to be able to have some moments back. Actually, I'd like to have some years back. And part of me having those years back would be this, is I would spend so much more energy and time and effort on relationship and so much less time on rules 
and do this and don't do this. I just do it over. Because I was all about the rules. I was all about the rules. I remember I was hard because of the rules. And it was motivated well. I wanted my kids to be well-behaved. I wanted my kids to do the right thing. And, and, I, and I wanted them to do these things. And, and so I focused in on the do's and don'ts. And I realized I was really missing the most important thing. And that was relationship. It was relationship. And see, some of us want obedience first. But obedience works best in the response to relationship. So focus your relation, on your relationships being healthy and whole. And obedience will tend to naturally follow. Focus on a relationship. Not legalism. Here's a fill in the blank for you. Rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship will always lead to rebellion. Here's the third one. Is that we're practicing lukewarm Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity. Today we are surrounded by cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity. And you're like, what's that mean? It's, it's, It's we wear the cross. You know, got the cross. You know, I mean, that might be all we have, but we got the cross. Or, or we wear the T-shirt, or we have the tattoo, or we have the scripture on our chest, or, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever it might be. We have the bumper sticker. You know, we, we go to church. You know, we, we have all those things, but too many of us are Christians in name only. We don't actually live it out day to day. This is our only thing. The cross is the only thing. There's not much more to it than that. It's just, it's just this lukewarm thing, and it's a title, not a trust. It's just a title. It's just, it's just a, a label that we put on. It's just something I stick on my chest and say Christian, but really it doesn't mean a whole lot other than it's just a name. It's just, a, it's just something we place upon ourselves. And so we practice that, and it actually hurts us in the process of trying to become home sweet home. So how do you know if, if my home is lukewarm? And lukewarm has to do with it's the temperature or the degree of several different things. And you got to be careful here because you can become very legalistic about spiritual things. And so the temperature or the degree, let me give you a couple of them. Here, here's one of them, prayerful dependence. There, there is a prayer attitude in your home. It isn't, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray my Lord the soul to take or something like that. I don't even know how the prayer goes. Not those kind of prayers. I'm not talking about, Lord, we grab hands before supper and we say, bless this food, thank you. Or, or maybe you're like we did for a while, thanks for the grub. And when we, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about prayerful dependence, that prayer is part of your home. Let's pray about that. Matter of fact, let's pray about it right now. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord what he wants to do. And that's, that's woven into the fabric of who you are. If that's happening, then that's a good degree. It's a good de- temperature. Prayerful dependence. Here's another one. is that There's biblical guidance. In other words, you're not just making decisions. You're going to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to do? Biblically, how does this line up? We're going to make decisions based on God's word, not on our own opinions. And we're going to constantly go to the scriptures and we're going to constantly say, well, this is what God, I think, would have us. And we're hearing from the Lord through his scriptures. He's speaking to us. There's guidance that's part of our homes in that way. Here's another one, generosity. That that you're generous in your home. 
that, that your kids see you being generous. As husband and wives, you're generous. There's a, there's a generosity that's taking place. Here's another one. You're available on a regular basis for God to use you. It's not a rarity that you're available. It's all, the, Lord, you can use me. I'm a, and it's a constant. It's part of your home. That's the things that measure the temperature and degree in your home. So that's just a handful. So going to the next part. So those are the things that don't work, all right? They don't work. Here's the things that do work. And I think these are the applications for us today that we need to practice what does work. All right, so let's, let's just walk through them real quick. Here's the first one is that we need to make an adjustment in our appetite, obviously. We, we need to stop eating junk food. We need to start reading the labels, so to speak. We, we need to make an adjustment in our appetite. We need to think about what we're eating and what we're feeding on currently and say, is this healthy for my spiritual well-being? Here's the verse, second, I mean, 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this, Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk. I'm, I'm, there's something about the, con, the content of what I'm going after. I'm, I'm actually going after those things that are improving my spiritual position, not making it worse. You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of your salvation. It says, cry out for this nourishment. Hunger, thirst, I want it. There's this desire. I'm changing, if you will, my appetite. I'm going to look at my appetite and say, I need to adjust this. I'm crying out for this nourishment now. And it says that you have tasted the Lord's kindness. Once you get a taste for something, you just want a little bit more of it. And so the whole point from this one is feed yourself the things that will satisfy and grow you spiritually. Here's number two. Is decide what kind of home we're going to be. You've got to decide. You've got to decide. And so there's two options, basically. <clears throat> if, you're, if you're in this Christian category, I mean, there might be a third option if you're not, and that's, you know, that's depending on where you're at. But option one is, we're, are we going to be satisfied being a, quote, quote, Christian family with the label? Is that what we're going to be satisfied with? We're a Christian home or Christian family, and it's just the title. Am I going to be satisfied with that? Uh, you know, are, are, are we going to be okay with convenient Christianity, legalistic Christianity, lukewarm Christianity? I mean, are we just going to be satisfied with that? Oh, well. I mean, you've got to decide. I mean, because a lot of times we just don't make the decision, and it kind of gets defaulted into this one right here, especially if we already kind of have the label thing going. Or option two, which I think is the best one, is seeking to be a Christ-centered home. Seeking to be a Christ-centered home. Are we going to be satisfied with Jesus being a part of our homes, or will we seek to make Jesus the center of our homes? And so when Jesus said, hunger and thirst after righteousness, that's part of what he's talking about. That's where he's jumping into this idea. Listen to what the psalmist said. Psalm 63, verse 1. It says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Almost sounds a lot like what we're talking about today. My home is very dry. But I realize, God, if it's you, there's something that satisfies. But I wonder, how would you fill in the blank of that second word there? You blank are my God. You blank are my God. How would you fill that in? 
I earnestly seek after you. I thirst for you. What, what is that for you? Let me throw out some maybe. You, retirement plan, are my God. Earnestly I seek after you. You, high score on the video games. Earnestly I seek after you. You, likes on Facebook, are my God. Earnestly I seek after you. You, fancy new car, are my God. You, select, select league soccer for four-year-olds, are my God. Come on. We're obsessed. There's something with that. You, promotion at work, are my God. Earnestly I seek of you. You, position, are my God. You, beautiful home, are my God. How would you fill in that blank? You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek after you. And see, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. There's the parallel between Psalm 63 and Matthew 5, verse 6 that says, Hunger and thirst after my righteousness. Which, by the way, the word righteousness means to be rightly related. To be rightly related with God. Hunger and, and, and thirst is simply the word, a phrase for saying desire wholeheartedly. There's this deep desire. So here's the third one. Involve God in your daily conversations. Involve God in your daily conversations. Acknowledge how God has blessed us, how, how God has moved. We, we talk of, what we talk about creates hunger. And by the way, this is the one that I think that I missed so much when I was growing up with my kids. I'll just be very honest with you. I just want to be really, really transparent. This was the one. Here's what God was doing amazing things in my life. God was speaking to me. God was using me. God was doing all these things. I never shared it with my kids. It was like a private thing to them. I, I, I mean, we would talk about different things, but see, the only thing we were talking about was the do's and don'ts. I wasn't talking about the great things that God did that day and the great things that God did in that life and the great thing that God is doing in my life. I, I wasn't talking about his faithfulness to make sure that our bills were paid. I wasn't talking about those things. I needed to be talking about those things because the conversation be, was able to, if I let it, become the aroma that created hunger and thirst. It was that which could have created aroma. Yeah, I, I love this. I go to uh, the Thai place. This is a little shout-out to the Thai place and the dude that rides motorcycles. If he's listening online, you know exactly who you are, all right? The Thai place over on 25th Street. I love it. Little tiny buffet about this big. The, the lady in the back, she opens up the thing. And she's going, yeah, yeah, and she dumps stuff in there, and I love it. I mean, it's just awesome. I have no idea what she's saying, but she says something to me every time she's doing it. I love it. But when I walk in there, there's something that happens. I walk in and I go, I smell the curry and the hot and the chicken. I smell it. I'm like, and, I, and, I, and the guy I'm meeting with, usually, you know, we look at each other, high, high five. We don't pay any attention to each other because we're focused on what we're about to do. And we walk up, we grab the plates, and we say, and it's only a six-foot buffet if that. And by the time I grab my plate and I put a bowl in there because I mix the curry and the noodles and the sauce and a little spicy chicken, and I mean, it's like, and I've got it right there. I can smell it. I mean, it's like, and as I move over and I start little chicken wings. I'm putting a little chicken wings in there. I move over and I start picking out the broccoli pieces because I'm on a diet. So I'm picking all the broccoli pieces and I'm putting them in there, right? 
By the time I get halfway through the buffet, my mouth is watering. I mean, my eyes are starting to get tearful. I mean, I'm getting excited. Why is that? Because of the aroma of what I know is about to happen. And see, some of us, we need to create the aroma of what God is going to have happen in our conversations. We need to realize that the words that we use are creating hunger and thirst or killing hunger and thirst. We need to realize that when we're talking about God in our home, it should be the best thing going on the planet. It should be that idea that God is faithful. God is loving. God is approachable. God is involved. All these conversations we're having, I believe that God's going to do it. And there's something that creates this aroma of him doing something in the midst of our lives. It's weaving the reality of God in and through everyday life. And by the way, let me just throw this out. Don't be a Bible quoter all the time. You know the one? You know, every time you go somewhere, well, it says and this. And like, dude, can you just talk? Why do you always have to quote verses, you know? Just have a conversation sometimes, right? So here's a verse. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 says, Why Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. Let me get the last two real quick. Last two. Here, here's, the, here's the, I think, what is it, four. Establish core values for your home. Establish core values for your home. What are the core values of your home? You ever thought about that? What are the core values of your home? What is it? Going back to comfort, fun, popularity, win. That's our core value. Be successful. Be the best, be, the, be bigger, better, stronger. I mean, what, what's the core value of your home? Because we need to define the goals clearly, define the dream. And a clear purpose creates passion. It creates hunger. So make sure you define it clearly. Here's a verse. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 through 9. It says, yes, all these things I once thought were so important are gone from my life compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ. Jesus, as my master, firsthand, everything I, th- I once thought I, I, I had going for me is insignificant. I love it in the message. Dog dung. <laughs> Translation, poop. All right? Right? It was poop. It was worthless. I dumped it, in all, it all in the trash so I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. Can I just give you three core values to consider? Can I just give you these? Just three core values real quickly. Here's the first one. That making knowing Christ Jesus personally be the highest priority in your home. That the highest priority trumps everything is that you know Jesus personally. Above everything, make it the highest priority. Core value. Here's the here's second one. Is make the body of Christ non-negotiable. I'm amazed today how many people put off the body of Christ for cutting the lawn, (laughs) for chasing after all these other things. It it amazes me. And here's why it amazes me. It's the very thing that Christ said he died for was the body of Christ. And so if if I'm in my home and I'm devaluing that and I'm pushing it aside, I'm missing out on one of the greatest things that God ever said was valuable, the body of Christ. Now, it's full of yahoos. Don't look at anybody, but it's full of yahoos. But God uses the body. He died for the body. And if you honor what God honors, he will honor you. Make the body of Christ non-negotiable.
There's, there's some things in life you got to understand. This is important. This is important. Number three, three core values to consider. Know Christ, the body of Christ, and the cause of Christ. Make the cause of Christ the purpose of your life. Make the cause of Christ the purpose of your life. What is the cause of Christ? It's, it's redeeming lost things, lost people. It's serving God as the highest calling. It's understanding that the biggest reason, the main reason that I'm on the planet, you're on the planet, is to serve his purpose. If you would just get those three in order, know Christ personally. (laughs) That's the big one. The body of Christ is a non-negotiable. God uses the body. God died for the body. Christ gave himself. All of a sudden, things begin to come clear. And here's the last one. Last practice that's to do it right, and that is model what you want to see happen in your home. Model what you want to see happen in your home. Even if it's not happening in those around you, you model it. Even if everybody else is just going ballistic crazy, you model it. Show how seeking and serving God is fun. Show how being a follower of Christ and hungering and thirsting after his righteousness actually is rewarding and valuable. Show it. Show how making right choices based on God's direction leads to favor. Make a daily quiet time your time. Just do it. Just, just, I'm going to model it. I'm not going to tell you to do it. I'm going to show you. I'm going to go for it. Because you don't have to tell them to be good, meaning the kids, if, when you're pursuing the one who is good. And I want to speak to dads for just a second. Dads, you have an incredible role. You have an incredible role to lead. Your wife is looking for you to lead. Not be her boss. God didn't say that. It's it's to lead spiritually, to be like Christ. Christ died and gave up all for his bride, the church, by the way. Your kids need you to lead them. Your kids need to see that spiritually, this is the most important thing. They need more than anything else for you to be the spiritual one that is going after God like nobody else in your home. They need that. Desperately need that. They need you to take the role that God has placed within your hands and maximize it. And by the way, I'll just let you know this. Your moments as a dad when they're little go by really fast go by really fast. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys that have old, they go by really fast. Take it seriously. Here's the, here's the verse. First Peter chapter 5. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Let me pray. Maybe as your head is bowed today, and your eyes are closed before the Lord. It's just you and God right now, and you're saying, you and I don't feel right at all in my relationship with God. Maybe you're saying, boy, hunger and thirst after righteousness. I, I, I feel shame. I feel guilt. I feel unworthy. And here's the good news. The good news is Jesus makes you right. 
The good news is Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is the one that justifies us and places us in right relationship before the Father. I don't have to do that. And so today, if you're here and you say, man, I... I just need to have that first step happen in my life to, to be in right relationship with God. And I, I'm not. And, and I know that he loves me and he cares for me. And I just need to accept his forgiveness and accept the life that he has for me so that I can begin this journey that God, I think, is calling me to right now. That's me. If that's you, would you just wave your hand at me? Yeah. 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 Lord, I pray for every hand that was raised. Lord, first and foremost, you would cover us with the forgiveness of heaven and that, Lord, you would set us on a course to go after you. God, to hunger and thirst for the righteousness that you've brought to us, Lord, through Christ. In Jesus' name.